Welcome to the Powerful Decisions Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Gluckman. I'm a life and business coach who loves helping my clients find ease and confidence around making decisions. Every episode, you'll learn the thought work tools I teach my clients for clear and easy decision making. I'll also share real life examples from my life and from my clients where powerful decisions created more of what we want in our lives. Time to stop sitting in indecision or second guessing our decisions. Let's get to making powerful decisions. Welcome everyone back to the Powerful Decisions Podcast. I am thrilled today to have a friend on with me, Joe Renshaw, who is a fellow masterminder in my um, coaching mastermind that I'm in right now, the Big Happy Money Mastermind with Serena Hicks, which we both adore. Mm -hmm. Um, Welcome, Joe. Thank you. And you're my first international guest as well, which is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) We're spreading out across the ocean. Yeah, yeah, from sea to sea. From sea to shining sea, there we go. Um, Joe, would you take a moment and introduce yourself as um, maybe tell folks a little bit about who you are as a coach Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit about how you got to coaching? Yeah, it's a good story. Okay, cool. So who I coach is I coach entrepreneurs. And I coach them to have a rich, lush life. And that looks like however they like it. But for me, very much it's about creating a life that's outside of a patriarchal setup. So we don't do nine to five. (laughs) We don't work 40 hours a week or 60 or 80 hours a week. We have an equal balance of work, rest and play. And for that, we need to know how to charge properly for our services. We need to train ourselves to rest because Mm. we haven't been taught how to do that or it's kind of been trained out of us. And we need to have fun and play because we're playful beings. Yeah. And if one of those parts is out of whack, then the other two suffer. Mm. So it doesn't have to be equal parts within one day but across the whole of our life. So yeah, that's what I help people do. That's so cool. I've never heard it described that way around like tying in the charging properly with the rest and the play. Mm. How, I mean, that you describe it so simply that those three like cornerstones, I love that. And I think because, because of the systems that we live underneath, we haven't been taught, we don't even think, we don't have any permission to charge properly for what we Uh do because they, whoever they are, want us contributing to this system to serve a different end, which keeps us locked into having to work all the time. Uh Uh So I think when we understand the value of who we are and what we offer, and the value of what we are includes permission to rest and play. Mm-hmm. It's required. A human being can't be on full tilt all the time. 
And this relates very much to our thinking, feeling and willing, which is so much part of our own system. They, one center can't be on the go all the time. We can't be doing things all the time. We can't be feeling all the time and we can't be thinking all the time. We have to be moving through those three things. Yeah. My back, part of my background is in um, Steiner Waldorf education. So Rudolf Steiner always talks about the, the threefold human being, the thinking, feeling, willing human being. So I'm always fascinated to see. So that's how I teach people through that system, thinking, mm. feeling and doing. Mm -hmm. Because that's what informs the outcome, the results of our lives. Mm -hmm. And the Were model you... that we both work with. Right, right. Mm. Were you a Waldorf teacher? I was, yeah. 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 In Brighton here, I taught for, I had my own class for three years. Before that, I was a kindergarten assistant for uh maybe I was kindergarten for two years and then class one assistant for two years and then had my own class for three years and my daughter went through all the way from age three to age 12. Uh-huh uh-huh yeah and how tell us a little bit about the storyline between being the Waldorf a Waldorf teacher to becoming a coach. Oh gosh that's quite a journey yeah. so I left the school in 2009 I took redundancy because we just come into a recession mm -hmm. and um, we call them Steiner schools in the UK. They're mm -hmm. traditionally, uh, historically, terribly poorly funded and terribly bad at asking their parents to give them money to pay for what they do. <laughs> <laughs> See, they need a coach. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of at a loose end and thinking, oh my God, what, what next? So I went to university and I did a degree in photography at the age of 36. And I'd studied photography when I was a teenager and I loved it. And I'd been around it a lot of my life. My daughter's father was a photographer too. So had four incredibly fun years at university, playing very hard and partying probably harder than a woman of my age ought to have been doing then. <laughs> but at the time, because I was a mature student and I wanted to start working straight away, I started assisting and producing at the same time. So then I spent five, five or six years in shoot production and I worked for people like Topshop and I ran a studio here for a photographer called Ewan Spencer. He did um, fashion and advertising and editorial. So I was producing some really fun and interesting things, photo books and exhibitions I did for him. And just after I graduated in 2013, I went bankrupt. Ah. And this was after 20 years, really, a very poor money mindset. And when I say poor, I mean, I thought I was poor. That was my kind of yeah. headline. And, and I think I probably wasn't, but the story around me was, oh, Joanna's so bad with money. And I was always terrible with money. I was struggling with it and never seemed to have any. So I went bankrupt and it was a massive relief because then I was at zero and I wrote off 10,000 pounds worth of debt, which doesn't seem very much today. But then it was, it was crippling me with anxiety. Mm. And I knew then I had, in the UK, you get six years on the insolvency register to, um, then you've got zero credit. And 
on the, the day after you come off the insolvency register, your credit goes back to what it was on your 18th birthday. You've got fresh, brand new credit. So I thought, holy shit, I better really work hard over these six years on my mindset because I don't want to get in that same state again. So those six years felt like a blessing. And at the same time, I had no job <laughs> and rent to pay. I was like, okay, let's get to work. So I got to work. And during that time, my daughter left school and she started to work. So she began to contribute to the rent. Jobs began to come in. I was freelancing then. In fact, I think I was cleaning houses to start with. Um, but somehow every single month, the bills got paid, the rent got paid and we ate. And I threw everything at it. I followed Abraham Hicks. I listened to Denise Duffield Thomas. Uh, I think Kate Northrup. Um, T. Harv Ecker, anybody, because I, I did understand that the way I thought about things affected the way things came out in my life. I didn't know the model at this point, mm -hmm. but it was during those six years that I found the model. So anyway, long story short, kept producing. And then I was reading more and more mindset books. So I thought, well, I'd love to train as a coach. And I mm. found um, Brooke Castillo's uh, podcast and I really wanted to train with her, but it just was so out of my reach. And in those days, it was six days in person for some many thousand pounds, which <laughs> I just didn't have. Mm -hmm. But I had it on my, one day I'm going to do that. One day I'm going to do that. In the meantime, I'm going to do one in the UK. And I managed to get a bursary. I did this thing and I loved it but I was using the model throughout it all the time. Hmm. Uh, and so I decided to, after I, one relationship ended, my daughter left home, I decided to leave my groovy career in shoot production and go and work in hospitality for two years while I set up my coaching business. And as I did that, I thought, what on earth am I doing? This is ludicrous. <laughs> Can you go work and serving tables? However, I seem to have my mind made up and I spent a year and uh, one year in hospitality and one year in retail working for Lush. And at the end of two years was March 2020 and I was put on furlough. So I was graced by the universe, another almost full year of furlough <laughs> to be building my business. But on the day after I came off the insolvency register, actually it was about a week after because of the post. I opened the Christmas card in the hallway of my building. There was a Christmas card with my name on it. And I picked it up. And as I walked across the crescent, I opened it. And I had a check for 50,000 pounds. What? <laughs> yeah. So I said some very loud words and went, oh my God, I've done it. Oh, so I knew in those six years, all the mindset work I'd done had worked because I'd been I'd been thinking of this figure actually I'd been thinking about 30,000 pounds and 50 came mm. so then I had a whole new set of problems <laughs> oh my god it's gonna run out what mm -hmm. should I do with it mm -hmm. suddenly and I noticed that it it wasn't anything to do with the amount of money I was having thoughts about money whether I had 50,000 pounds or whether I had no thousand pounds mm -hmm. But 
so then I then I had to kind of integrate all of that and so then I had the wherewithal to go and train with a life coach school which I did the very week we went into lockdown as I was put on furlough oh my goodness wow (laughs) so 2020 was a really magical year for me yeah yeah I feel like let me let me just step out from our conversation for one second to catch folks up if if they haven't heard many of my podcasts and aren't familiar Mm -hmm. with what the model is because you've mentioned it a couple times so I just want to explain that for a second so the model is a way of understanding how the facts of our life and our thoughts and our feelings and our actions are all interconnected so when I think of the model, I like to think of it as, as if I'm writing it down because it's the most concrete for me then. So I think of five lines on a piece of paper and I think of the top line is my circumstance. So those are the facts of my life. And the example that you just gave of, I just received 50,000 pounds in a Christmas card, right? So that would be a fact right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's provable in a court of law. If there was a video camera, it would have seen you opening this card and having the 50,000 pounds, right? Okay. Yeah. So that's the circumstance. Then you have a thought about it. Mm-hmm. Right? And then that thought is what generates however you're feeling. And then depending on how you're feeling, our feelings motivate our actions. So the first line of the model is the circumstance. The second is our thought. The third is our feeling. The fourth is our action line. So everything we do or don't do, mm-hmm. um, everything we, we believe, everything. I, sometimes I put in like body sensations too in the mm-hmm. action line um, as a result of what we're feeling. And then the very bottom line or the fifth line of the model is the results that all of those actions or inactions create in our life. So you talked about probably your first, one of the first thoughts you shared when you opened that envelope, right? was like, it's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And, and so what was the feeling that you generated when you thought it's working? Oh my gosh, it was absolute delight yes right <laughs> right yeah and and what what would you do or what what do you remember doing when you were feeling delight what kind of actions did you might you have remember taking the first right. thing I did was telephone the person who gifted it to me and she by the way had no idea I'd been bankrupt mm. so I shared that with her so that was a really lovely moment. Mm-hmm. And then I phoned my mum and my sister <laughs> and shared it with them. And then I tucked it into my bag. This was from Delight. I tucked it into my bag and I, like it was a treasure. Mm-hmm. And I went to work and it was a Saturday in Lush. Like if you've ever been in a Lush on Christmas Saturday, it's very busy. <laughs> So I, I had this feeling of delight all day knowing yeah. that there was 50,000 pounds in my bag. But yeah, yeah. So, I, so I protected it, I think. I don't know if protected is quite the right, right thing, but I treasured it. Yeah. And I Cherished put it safe. It. I kept it yeah. safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and it sounds like you celebrated it as well yeah, celebrating yeah, yeah. it with other people right and i can imagine that if you're thinking if your thought about it is everything i've been doing is working like it's mm -hmm. all working right then that's going to reinforce and have you keep doing that stuff right so if you're working on your mindset around money right? You're going to want to keep working on your mindset around money. Yeah, totally. Because I started with 72 pence. Wow. And my sister and I always had a joke. Well, if someone with a million pounds can be a millionaire, then if I've got 72 pence and I can be a 72 pence heir. <laughs> because it's all made up anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. No, right. no amount is better than the other. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so curious, Joe, like you talked about not feeling that you were good around money mm. in your younger years, in your 20s, mm. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And, and then you talk about doing all this work and like mm -hmm. learning from all these teachers. Mm. Do you remember what it was that really got you to start the shift though totally right? and, yeah, and totally. to believe I guess I guess part of my question too is like sometimes we think that it's our innate character that we're like not good with money mm. versus what you were talking about system around us that tells us that we're not good with money yeah yeah, yeah. so I'm curious like yeah, how things shifted. So uh, there, there was, I did an exercise from a book and it was to write my money biography, write Ooh. the autobiography of my money. And there were questions like, what do you remember hearing your parents talk about money? And what were the things you told you were told about money? Now, my parents, they were married in Kenya and they learned Swahili, a little bit of Swahili. So when they came back to the UK and when they had children, there were certain things they would talk about in Swahili so that we wouldn't understand, mm. except we did. I always knew when they were talking about money because they were talking Swahili. <laughs> so it was, I think the message then was, this isn't for you to know about. Our adults understand this, but they talk about it in a, in a way that you can't understand. And I really, and I still think that actually throughout my school career, we weren't taught about money. Uh -huh. I didn't leave school knowing what a mortgage was, how to manage a monthly budget, any of that, none of that. When I saw that this was all a story, I was like, oh, hang on, actually, I've been really good with money. Just everybody else has had a story that I haven't been very good with money. And also I've never had very much of it. Mm -hmm. That's different. Mm -hmm. That's different than not being good with it. Mm. And I was a single mum for a long time and my income came from all sorts of places. So it came from my teaching role, which in 2009 was 14,000 pounds a year. Yeah. Which is less than my daughter then and as an assistant manager of the shop. Waldorf teachers are, uh -huh. again, historically uh -huh. very poorly paid. Um, and at that time in the UK, we had a system of tax credits. So I had 
working tax credit, child tax credit, some housing benefits, some council tax benefits. And I had to fill in loads of forms for all of these. So I was made to work for it in that way. So there was also um, a lot of stigma and shame uh-huh. around all of that. Uh-huh. And so it wasn't like on the last day of every month, all my money came at once. It all came in different amounts over the month. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I didn't have a system, didn't have a system for it. So I didn't have a vast amount. I didn't have a system for it. And I had everybody else's story. Oh, because also my brother was making a lot of money. So there was comparison as well. So I just, once I saw all that written down on paper, I was like, oh, that's not true. I'm going to make up my own money story. So I did. Hence the name 72 pence air. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get to the story that I've actually been really good about money or good with money? Because I realized I'd never not had a roof over my head and I'd never not had food on the table. Mm. That was enough. My daughter had always been clothed and fed Mm -hmm. and that was good enough for me. It's amazing. I've talked about this on other episodes around where we can find evidence for whatever story really that we want to be telling ourselves, right? And there's the unconscious or automatic story that that we have carried with us throughout our lives Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. everything, about money. Mm -hmm. And if we want to change it, we just have to send our brain on a hunt for the evidence Mm -hmm. for the new story. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like like you, as you were doing this biography of money, which I think is such a fabulous idea to actually write it down, right? Mm -hmm. It sounds like you started seeing, wait a second, like, Mm. I've always had enough and, and how resourceful you have been. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It put me into a state of appreciation and awe that I'd come that far and all was well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd been really bought into this story of, of, oh, it's all a disaster. Everything's terrible. It was, it was such a complete flip over. Suddenly I was in awe that all mm-hmm. was well. What do you think shifted for you in your life or in the possibilities that you saw? when you moved into that appreciation and awe? It became possible for me to believe that I could have a lot of money at some point. And I didn't put a date on it, but I was just willing to believe that that was then possible. Where that hadn't even been available to me, not even the thought of it had been available to me before. Like money was really for other people. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. Other grown-ups who spoke Swahili. <laughs> yes. I'm curious did you have a sense of how much you could reasonably earn was there was there a point where I'll I'll say for me let me share with me so for a long time I thought $30,000 a year was like I, I was golden like that's how much I was aiming for I felt it was a reasonable amount of money mm-hmm. that I should be able to just survive and be okay with that. <clears throat> yeah. And then 
as I had kids and also became a single mom like yourself, like then I was like, well, if I can get to 50, like Ooh. then like, okay, 50 is okay. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody will think I'm being greedy or trying to earn too much or like, it's a, it's an okay. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. doing air quotes here. I'm like, I have permission to earn $50,000 a year. I'm curious if there was ever like numbers for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 30,000 pounds, that was my magic number. Uh-huh. And I, I think in um, 2017, I realized that between January 2017 and December 2017, which is not a relevant year to the tax man in this country, uh-huh. I had invoiced 30,000 pounds. Uh-huh. But I didn't, there was nothing left of it. That was how much it cost to live in quite a very basic way. However, I'd actually had quite a nice year that year. So I was like, okay, 30,000 pounds, that's good. And, and a little bit like you, I think, well, that's just enough. No, I don't need too much more. I've got permission for 30. I'm a good, responsible, sustain. I'm not taking any more than I need mm, from the system. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there was still, I can see now, this belief that money was a finite resource. And that's, again, part of the story that we're all told. You know, if you have too much, there isn't enough for somebody else. So if you earned more, you'd Mm -hmm. be taking away from someone. Yeah. And that, I'm, I'm very certain, a lot of that mindset came because of the benefit system I was part of for so long. Hmm. It was very much, you know, this, you're allowed this much, right? Because there's this many people claiming the benefit, but we'll make it this much. And because you have this age child, well, you're allowed this much. And it was all very specific criteria. So there was a lot of people playing many, many different games to jump through hoops to buck the system rather than, rather than taking their own power and authority to go and Mm -hmm. make it elsewhere. Do you think it was also influenced by the, like the scarcity of money at the Waldorf school as well, right? Like if I were to earn more as a teacher there, like there's, the pot is only this big. And if I earn more, somebody else can't. Well, and actually to your point, um, again, historically in Waldorf schools, it didn't happen in our school, but many Waldorf schools have a system where teachers only take the amount of salary that they need. So a single woman might take less than someone who's got a family. Mm-hmm. So that's again, very much built into the culture. I don't mm-hmm. know enough about Rudolf Steiner's uh, teachings on economics, but that, that seems as a system, it kind of makes sense from an idealistic perspective, mm-hmm. but it perpetuates a myth that there isn't enough. And it also makes it difficult to talk about money, right? It, oh, it makes it yeah. such a sensitive <laughs> subject. Asking for the parents to pay the fees on time. Right. So there, were, there was more than one academic year where there was a question whether or not the doors would open in September mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they hadn't collected the fees. Which I think, you know, in the U.S. is, is a a familiar story for many nonprofits and organizations that are dependent upon 
um, contributions mm -hmm. and donations and so forth. Mm -hmm. And when we look at Amazon, right, <laughs> as like the, <laughs> the big mega counter example, Amazon has no problem talking about money. Mm -hmm. And saying, if you don't pay, then we won't send you the thing. Very right. obvious. Right. It's a very and yet Amazon direct. gets slammed for being an e being an evil big money maker. Mm -hmm. It makes sense why, given given the examples that you've shared around the Waldorf school, around the benefit system, around your parents talking in Swahili about money, why you know in your twenties or thirties that you wouldn't feel super confident about your ability to make however much money you actually wanted to make. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I had no confidence about money because I had no I had no relationship where it was I saw I didn't see myself in that partnership. Money was for other people. And I think especially as women, we we tend to think that this is just about us. That our particular money story is just it's just ours alone. And again, this is in part because we don't talk about it, right? I mean, it's yeah. kind of like a marriage feeling like it's only our marriage that is struggling or having problems right. because we don't, yeah, yeah. you know, we don't talk yeah. about it. Or, you know, I know a lot of new moms and for a while I worked as a, as a postpartum doula. So I was helping brand new parents, right. Get used mm -hmm. to having a newborn mm -hmm. and you know, everybody's like, well, it's so hard for me. I'm the one who's Not struggling. Rainbows I'm, and right? daisies, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but everybody else looks totally fine because we don't talk about it because it wasn't normalized to us that actually the postpartum period can be super challenging in, yeah. in a myriad of different ways. Or marriages can be very challenging mm -hmm. and go through lots yeah. of phases, and, but we don't talk yeah. about it. And similarly, mm -hmm. like, then we think, oh, I have problems with money, but it's just me. Mm -hmm. We don't see the system. Mm -hmm. And within my group of friends, I was the only single one. Mm -hmm. So I also had, had, oh, well, they've got two incomes. Yeah. So it's okay for them. So a whole mm -hmm. bunch of extra stuff there, yeah. I think that's why this kind of conversation is so powerful. Like just for the two of us to talk about mm -hmm. our money story and like, say it out loud <laughs> yeah I feel like I've got the keys to the kingdom because yeah. because the story the story that we're presented in the UK is that mm -hmm. that's for men in suits yes totally same and here money same Especially here to get 50,000 pounds in one in one go yeah that's only for men in suits white men in suits as well correct right yeah yeah right Share, share with us some of your beliefs now about money. Yeah, now, that I, now I believe that money flows endlessly. That it's, there's an endless supply of it. That it's for everybody. That it's, it's designed for good. And that having more of it is of benefit and service to everybody in the world. Mm. me having more doesn't take away from anybody else mm -hmm. me having more means that I can help other people create more it's like one of those chocolate fountains you know or a champagne glass fountain you know, yeah. you pour it in and it fills all those six glasses and then those 12 glasses and then those 24 it's a complete opposite model of yeah. what we were taught I think we should close 
close up our conversation here, but I'm curious if there's a listener who mm -hmm. is identifying with your early money story, mm -hmm. my early money story, mm -hmm. <laughs> most women's <laughs> early money story. And, yeah. and they're like, yes, I can see myself there. Like, mm. I don't believe money is really for me. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that I'm necessarily good with money or that I know how to earn more money. Mm -hmm. What, what advice might you have for them? I would begin at the place of, now we can't, we can't make our brain believe something it doesn't believe. So we have to massage it a bit. We have to, I used to have a wolfhound and he was very shy and he didn't really like going in the car. So if I teased him in with a treat, he'd get in. So this is like teaching your brain a new thought is like teasing a shy dog with a treat. Yeah. So maybe we want to start by believing something like it could be possible that money's for me too. Because what we've got in there, we've got the money's, the money's for me too part, but we soften it with a, it could also be possible for me too. And I played with that a lot. I played mm. with that a lot. And I played with many different versions of that. Maybe it's possible for me. It could be true that money's for me. Let's see. Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be fun if money oh, was I for like me? That. <laughs> yeah, I like that one a lot. Mm. Wouldn't it be fun? And the thing I focused on was how each of those thoughts made me feel. And if I noticed I open a bill, for instance, and I felt terrible, like, oh, that's such a big bill then I would turn to a different thought straight away that made me feel better because the bill was still going to be there, but mm -hmm. how I thought about it mm -hmm. was, was up to me. I could mm -hmm. either think, Oh, this is, this is terrible or oh, it could be possible that I could be the kind of person who would pay that bill without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And today that's exactly the result I have. Wow. So good. Yes. I want to hear everybody's if you're, if this really resonates with you, I hope that you'll share some of your new thoughts about money when, when we post this episode, because I think that's so inspiring to see where people feel like they are right now with money and like what thoughts are really resonating and helping them grow their new money mindset and their new money story. Thank you so much, Joe, for Thank coming you, on. Oh, you're so welcome. I I really appreciate you sharing your money story because I think that there's so many similarities between all of our stories and mm. for, for someone to be willing to, to publicly kind of share their experience and all, all the good and the bad and the, mm -hmm. the ups and the downs of it really gives us all permission to say like, my story is legit as well. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't have to be tied to what I thought about money. Absolutely. You know, for decades. You really can think new. whatever you want. Yeah. Can think whatever yeah. you want. So good. If folks um, want to follow you, Joe, or mm -hmm. learn more about you, what's the mm -hmm. best way for them to do that? So I would love to invite people to follow me on Instagram. It's Joe underscore Renshaw. And I'm Joe, the Rich Lush Life Coach. And my website is joerenshaw.com. And I'm doing a masterclass actually, 4th of May. Or I should say May the 4th because people call it Star Wars Day, don't they? <laughs> 
And tell us a little bit about the masterclass. What, what is it on? Yeah, so it's, that's the art of living a rich, lush life, which I did a version of last year, and this is going to be updated for 2022. We'll be talking about some of those different ways of thinking and different ways of feeling and different ways of being in order to create our very own rich, lush life. Okay, well, I'll make sure to put all those links in our show notes. Thank, Thank you. you again, Joe. I appreciate you You're so, so welcome. much. Thank you, Meg. All right. Take care, y'all. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found some good nuggets in today's episode. If you'd like more coaching tools, follow me on Instagram at Meg Gluckman or on Facebook at Meg Gluckman Coaching. You can also DM me from either place to learn more about my one-on-one private coaching practice. I'd also really appreciate if you would rate and review this podcast so more folks can hear about it. I'll see you on the next episode of Powerful Decisions.